Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. Thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like USA, UK, France, and other places. It is great to have all of you joining us. We are inspiring important conversations with the unafraid. I love hearing from you, so you can always send me an email at fearlesswomenpodcast at gmail.com because, of course, we want our fearless community to grow. So tell your friends and follow us on Instagram. I'm very excited to have this next guest on the show. As you know, my best-selling book, Fearless, Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision, is about authentic stories from women in Canada and elsewhere. But today, I'm excited to share a different perspective, and we're going to hear some incredible stories from an amazing guy who once said this about his career journey. Suddenly, I'm 20 years old, and I'm running a 220-seat American theater, comedy theater, no less, in Amsterdam. You know who I'm talking about? This might surprise you. It's Stephen Bechta. He is the owner and operator and the visionary behind exceptional dining experiences that include Bechta, Gazellig, and Play. And now the latest twist is his curated by Bechta, his new online shop. He's going to tell us about that and so much more. His restaurants are sought after locations known for innovative flavors and extraordinary hospitality. He's also going to talk about the four years he spent working at top restaurants in Manhattan. The thing I love to hear about, too, is his volunteer work. So much to talk about. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much, Janet. It's an amazing honor to be on your show. And thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. So let's just jump right in because we have so much to talk about. I want to take you back to you're 20 years old and there you are in Amsterdam. And what? You're running a 220 seat American comedy theater. How did this happen? Um, well, I ran away um, because <laughs> uh, from Canada because, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, a woman broke my heart. Uh, I was living with this woman. I thought we were going to get married and all of a sudden, we broke up and I just needed to get the hell out of Dodge. And so I bought an open return plane ticket to Paris, traveled around Europe for a few months, ran out of money in Amsterdam, uh, saw this comedy show, asked if I could start working for them. And then, you know, suddenly by the end of the season, they said, you know what, you should come back next year and run the whole uh, food and beverage operation. Because, you know, you've been working in restaurants for six years now. You know what you're doing. <laughs> as a busboy or a cook or, you know, I think I managed like three shifts or something like that. And, but I mean, we had really gotten along well. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, it's time to throw the hat in the ring and, uh, and get in there. It's going back to, to Theodore Roosevelt's old, old uh, quote about uh, the man in the arena. And, you know, yes. it's, it's important to try and to, to fail. And yep. so I, I, I made them a financial success that year. And then they fired me at the end of the year because I didn't uh, live within their values and visions about how uh, they, they treated their staff. And so I learned more 
during that failure about how to care for your staff, then that that was more important than money. So it was an uh, an amazing experience, an amazing learning experience for me, and uh, one that I'll always remember. These are interesting times. Obviously, these are unprecedented times. Let's talk about your role. You are the owner and operator of incredible restaurants. You know, this has forced the pandemic, you know, for you to be resilient and innovative. Can you talk about how you pivoted into your online business and just kind of give us a sense of of how you and your uh, amazing teams have managed through these interesting days? Sure, absolutely. So when the pandemic hit, um, you know, I had a lot of friends say, you know, you need to do something different. You need to do some delivery. You need to do some takeout. And this is something that we had never done before. And, you know, we thought, ah, this is just going to be a few weeks. Uh, We're just going to ride out the storm. We've got a healthy balance sheet. It's important for us to take care of our staff because we had to lay everyone off. So we started delivering family meals uh, to them every day because we used to do that in the restaurant. And so while they were unemployed, we wanted to feed them and we wanted to make a commitment to be the best unemployers we could be. Um, But after a (laughs) few weeks of this, we thought... (laughs) We we thought, you know what, uh, there's enough smart people telling us this is going to go on a lot longer than uh, than we think. So my best friend, Harley Finkelstein from Shopify, said, dude, we're going to launch this uh, online wine store. Uh, the Ontario government allowed uh, restaurants to sell their wine uh, or alcohol off-site for the first time uh, to help through the pandemic. And uh, I had put together a couple special cases for him out of our wine cellar. And so he helped us launch it on his Instagram live. And the thing just took off like a bat out of hell. And we just started (laughs) hiring back more and more of our our staff. And, uh, you know, it was originally uh, to free up cash flow and to be able to hire our staff back. So we did all of the deliveries ourselves and we still continue to do all the deliveries ourselves so we can employ as many of our our staff back as possible. We've rehired about 90% of our team. Pretty much everyone who's wanted to come back is now back and it's been terrific. So you basically there's, it first started off with custom curated wine packages where people told us the budget, the favorite style of wines that they like, and then we put together something great around their personal preferences. Uh, We had to include a little bit of food. And then we said, you know what, if we expand this to meal kits, three course, really special restaurant quality meal kits that you can finish in 15 minutes in your home, we get to hire more of our team back. We can hire their chefs back. And so we did that. And all of a sudden, you know, that took off. And so we hired more and more and more people back. And then finally, stage three came along. And uh, well, actually, even before stage three, uh, we were able to work with the city and open up special patios, covered patios out front of play and uh, behind Gazelleg in the in the senior center parking lot that they weren't using because the seniors are not gathering right now. So that was a big hit. And then uh, we even just today launched a private balcony experience at Becta off the kitchen on the second floor where people basically buy into a $400 experience where we just cook for them and bring them great wine. Uh, you know, could be five courses. It could be 10 courses. It could be whatever. And it's, and uh, it's sold out for the next two weeks uh, as of, uh, you know, about an hour into our, our social media campaign. And so it's, I don't know, there's all kinds of things. We're just trying a lot of stuff. And I guess the, the latest is that, I want to make uh, the the curated Bybecta site that we've developed on Shopify available to greater businesses, restaurants out there. So we're looking to scale this thing and be able to license it out to other restaurants uh, in the future to help them pivot. So that's that. Those are the twelve new business things that we've gotten up to in the last couple months. It's so inspiring. Sure, 
It's nice to have a best friend in Harley from Shopify, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the other thing, you know, and, and this is what I think is really powerful for entrepreneurs to think about. You know, you have to be open and willing to listen and to be willing to take those risks on those innovative ideas as well. Yeah, it's true. You know, you got to you got to constantly uh, check yourself and jump off some more cliffs because it it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And, you know, when you especially when you get established, you know, it's hard to take risks anymore. But that's the only way that you grow. It's the only way that you move forward. Mm-hmm. Your restaurants have been known for being so innovative and taking those exciting risks. Certainly, the pandemic has changed the fine dining experience and your industry as a whole. And you know, here you are now as e-commerce experts looking at licensing, which is incredibly inspiring. Where do you think we can expect things to go? What do you think is going to happen in terms of the restaurant industry and fine dining in your view? I think it's it's definitely moving to a more experienced-based industry, like yeah. this private balcony for two, where you just put, ourse- put yourselves in our hands and we're going to create something amazing for you, or where you put yourselves in our hands and trust us and we're going to custom curate amazing wine and amazing food for you. Um, I think that's where, where this industry is going. There's going to be the very fast, casual Uber Eats delivery type stuff. And then there's going to be uh, the finer dining experiences that people will pay more for because experiences are so limited right now because mm-hmm. you can't travel and you can't do all of these things that you used to do. So people are dying for great experiences in some way or another. And we're looking to offer as many of those amazing experiences as possible. Like even with the curated program, every week I take the meal kit and I finish it at home in my kitchen. And then I send the YouTube video out to you know the, the hundreds of people who ordered it so they can see me finishing it at home so they, they know how to finish it. And that's an experience. They feel like they're cooking with me. And so it's so much fun to do. Yeah, you. but here's the thing though, Stephen, you have been innovating forever. I remember when you had that long, 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 long table, you know, where <laughs> outside dinner, explain that. I'm, I'm butchering the, the example, but... No problem. Canada's table, uh, we set up a, a, a thousand foot long table uh, in front of Parliament Hill and we did a thousand people, sorry, a 2000 foot uh, table. We brought in 20 chefs from across the country in order to celebrate Canada's 150th anniversary. And uh, yeah, that was a ton of fun. You know, we didn't make any money on it, but it, it was an, a joyous thing to do and work with these incredible chefs from all across the country and serve all of those wonderful people and share this experience with them on probably the best night of the whole summer. Yeah, and it's funny now because, of course, we can't gather like that. But but exactly. more than that, you know, I'm sure you learned all kinds of things from something like that. And here you are so well poised and you've pivoted and been so innovative throughout this whole pandemic. It's it's actually really exciting to watch. So thank you for your leadership in that. Take me back to what comes to mind when I say, Stephen, share a time you were fearless. What would you say? And I mean, I know this current, (laughs) but aside from this current, you know, another time when you were fearless. Well, it's, I mean, it's an interesting thing. It's, so you're asking not when I was fearful, when, when I was filled with fear, but something, you know, a time where I felt fearless, where nothing could go wrong because serendipity was guiding this, where, you know, there was a higher force at play here where I just felt like it was just a natural uh, thing to do. There's, there's sort of two things that I always think about when I, uh, when I think about times like this. Um, The first is moving to New York. Um, So I was 
24 years old. I just finished three classes, part-time evening program at Algonquin College for the sommelier program. And I was into wine and I had been managing restaurants for a couple of years. And uh, I met this woman at a wedding in, in Virginia and she lived in New York. And so um, I went to go and visit her. Uh, my friends who hooked us up said, you should bring down a, a resume in case. And I thought, okay, this is kind of crazy. But I ended up going to have an informational interview with uh, somebody at a, the top restaurant in New York at the time, Restaurant Danielle. And uh, he said, listen, we're opening a new place. And uh, would you like to apply for the job? And, you know, ended up having an interview on the street and then, and then moving down and, and being the opening sommelier of one of the top restaurants in America. Uh, having never dined in a restaurant that nice before. And so that was definitely a time where I felt very <laughs> fearless, I guess, because I was way in over my head. Um, and, you know, every day I was very fearful at that point after I had jumped in because I thought for sure they're going to find out how little I know and fire me and send me back <laughs> to Canada. But, uh, you know, a couple months into it, I was like the front page uh, poster child of the New York Times of this new generation of sommeliers, uh, young sommeliers, who wants diners to have a passport to adventure rather than an IQ test when they're they're talking about wine? And suddenly, I could do no wrong because you know when the New York Times an- anoints you, then suddenly you know people want to show up for it, and uh, and then they couldn't fire me and send me home. So that was uh, that was definitely <laughs> one of them. That. And then the the other one I think of is is coming back to Canada. So I met my now wife in uh, at a wedding in Ottawa, and I was living in New York, and we quickly knew that one of us was going to have to move. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, it's time for me to open my own shop. I was 28 years old and moved back to Canada and, uh, you know, got a bunch of investors, friends, family to throw some money in. And we opened up uh, our first restaurant back then. And that was 18 years ago. And it just, it felt like there was nothing that could go wrong. There is nothing, just the scars just aligned. So it's hard to be fearful when everything in the world is just telling you to do this thing. Serendipity is just coming together. So I felt very fearless in opening my own uh, restaurant because I'd wanted to do it since I was 13. So, you know, very important. Mm, and you got the girl. And I got the girl. And, and that's going <laughs> so, on 18 years now, too. <laughs> exactly. The amazing Maureen. Absolutely. So you exactly. talked about your, your 13-year-old self, you know, wanting to open a restaurant. Go back even just a little bit. Uh, your 10-year-old self. Uh, where you lived and what you were into. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ottawa Boys and Girls Club, which your commitment and leadership is so phenomenal. But first, take us back to your 10-year-old self. Sure. I mean, 10-year-old self was not a very compelling person, and I was not in a very good place. Uh, so my parents had just split up when I was eight years old, and that's when I started going to the Boys and Girls Club because I needed a place that was not home. Home was not a, a joyful place to be. And uh, at around 10 years old, my dad, after going to the club for two years, he, he, we were living with him and he pulled, pulled me out of there and our school and he moved us out east uh, to what is now Cumberland. What, uh, it, and it used, you know, it was rural and, and I hated it. I grew up downtown. I loved going to arcades. I loved playing video games. I loved hanging out with friends. I loved being able to go to a convenience store and pick up a slushie or something. And now I'm suddenly living in the bush in the middle of nowhere. And it was not a very fun time for me. A 10-year-old self was not very inspired or inspiring. I was mm-hmm. catching frogs as my joy and, uh, <laughs> and working for my dad, which I did not enjoy doing. So uh, 10-year-old self, not very fearless and uh, not very joyful. But mm. uh, it, it, it propelled me at, at 14 years old, the, the age of my son right now, 
to move into town with my mom uh, and uh, start working uh, full time, uh, you know, at the end of grade nine and uh, in the restaurant business. And that's what's really got me going into this because I, I love the restaurant family that embraced me and gave me the kind of joy and support and inspiration that I was lacking at home. So I like 13 year old me a lot better than 10 year old me. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, you know, how much the 10 year old you shaped those pathways forward, right? Like that, those experiences. For sure. Mm-hmm. So yes, you have this unwavering commitment to the Ottawa Boys and Girls Club. Your leadership is so compelling. Talk about why it matters, why you love the club, and more so what it means to our community. I mean, that's where we really got to know each other around the boardroom table. But, you know, it's such an important organization and so compelling for our community. Talk about your love of the club. So, I mean, I experienced it firsthand when I was eight, nine, ten years old, where I went there. And again, it just gave me that that place that uh, I felt so comfortable and so relaxed and so cared for um, by uh, the people there. And so when I got old enough and uh, mature enough to want to give back to the community, it just felt like a natural uh, thing to do. Um, so I joined the board nine years ago now. Um, I think I spent maybe four or five years with you on the board and it was a joy to work with you around that table. And, uh, right. and then when uh, the, the, the board chair position came available, I put my hat in the ring, even though this is the first board I've ever been on. And again, I felt way in over my head, especially with the talent around that board table. Um, there's so many amazing, compelling people there, but I'm driven to do it because of my history with the club and because I love uh, seeing the faces of the children and youth that we help in the community. I mean, we're up to 110,000 visits now, almost 5,000 members. And we just want to blow this up and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah, just the people around the board table and on the management team are just so inspiring to me as well. So you just you get so much back from uh, giving uh, of your time to a cause that you believe in. Mm-hmm. What would be your pitch to people listening? You know, often people will say in terms of volunteer work, you know, oh, I don't have the time, et cetera. What, what's your pitch to those mm-hmm. to say, hey, find the time <laughs> to give back? Because I, I know that you you have a good pitch because you have amazing people around the board uh, table with you. So what do you want people to know about why it matters? Well, here's the thing. Nobody has any time. I certainly don't have any time. I, especially during this pandemic, I mean, I've been mm-hmm. running my little butt off and yet uh, I still probably put in 15 or 20 hours a week volunteering for the club. The chair role is a big one. And it's, you know, you know, we've just had a, a, a changeover in our senior management team. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it requires a lot of time, but it is so gratifying when you, when you take something uh, to the next level and you make the next generation better because of it with the team around you, there is something, there is a legacy that you've created. There is something that will live, outlive you, your actions that, that you do and the, the things that you, the efforts that you put into something. You know, it's like having children, you know, you fill them with everything that you've got and to see them grow and mature and and move on past is incredible. The club has been around for 97 years. I want it to be around for another 97 years. And so this is my chapter or our chapter. And so, uh, you know, find the time. It's the joy that fills your heart is more important than the extra hour of sleep. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, if we look at, for example, where you're placing your efforts in terms of the club, the Bo- Ottawa Boys and Girls Club, I mean, it's meaningful impact in people's lives. And and that's tremendous. And these kids, when you've, you've got an upcoming breakfast that you're, if you want to talk about that, uh, when you see how incredible these children are and young people, it's very inspiring. Yeah, it really is. And we miss you on the board table. You got to come back. I hope you're <laughs> signing on for the, uh, for the breakfast on, on uh, Wednesday, the 16th of September. September 16th. There you go. You heard his pitch right there. He just slides it right in. <laughs> so well, it's going to be virtual. So no matter where you are, if you're in France or you're in the States or you're wherever, then you can just, you, you can, can just log it. in. So exactly. So here's the thing you talked about coming back to Canada and, you know, reaching out to a network and finding the uh, support and and the financial support you needed for your bold vision of your first restaurant, Becta, which has won so many awards and is such a beautiful place. Let's talk about having a strong network because I think there's a lot of people listening saying, how do we do that? So what's some advice you have for people on strategies on how to build and maintain a solid network? Look, I... I believe uh, very strongly in just doing compelling things and compelling people will want to be around you. So follow your heart, follow your passions and do that. Um, Be curious, be curious about other people, other compelling people, other uh, just people uh, enjoy their passions as well. You know, nurture and develop those uh, important relationships. I'm a one-to-one. Uh, I, I I love developing one-to-one relationships, and um, you know, it's it's about sharing your own network, sharing uh, your compassion. You know, spending time with people, show up on time. Like it's the little things. You know, if you say you're going to be uh, you know somewhere at a certain time, show up. Like I I, I was proud to be able to be on our call at at uh, three o'clock today. Because it was mm-hmm. important to me, because you're important to me. So mm-hmm. those little things, you know, if somebody does something nice for you, say thank you. Find a way to reach out and to, to repay that kindness. Um, that, to me, is the best way that you can grow and maintain and nurture your network. And then ask for things. That's the craziest part. I was interviewed the other day with Harley on this podcast called The Interview Dudes. They're three 12-year-old boys who oh have interviewed gosh. Ryan Reynolds and uh, Jim Gaffney Precious. and all of these amazing, incredible people. <laughs> yeah. And all they do is ask. Like they went and they reached out to Michelle and Barack Obama and said, we want to interview for our, our, our podcast. Like they're Love fearless. It. They, yeah. they mm-hmm. want to do this. And so the best advice I gave to them is just keep asking. Ask crazy people that you want to spend some time with them. And the worst thing people can say is no or not respond to you. Who cares? You know, you so already have a no. Put yourself right? out there. Exactly. Before you ask, yeah. you already have the no. <laughs> so your upside is big. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I loved also in in this advice that you gave, you know, I'm hearing that that idea of knowing yourself. So you were clear that your preference is building that network through one-on-one. And I think that self-awareness is really important too. like understand how you work best yourself and then incorporate Mm -hmm. that into the strategy. I think that's really solid advice. So thank you. You talked about launching that business and needing to raise funds for it. And certainly in your role as chair, 
you're you know asking people to support this phenomenal uh, organization. How have you become comfortable asking for money? What's your advice for other people if they you know whether they're uh, passionate about an organization or for entrepreneurs trying to uh, launch their own thing? What's the secret from your point of view? Well, I mean, I'm not comfortable asking people for money, and that's that's been the hardest part of my role as the board chair. You know, I where I've made the pivot for me is that it, it doesn't come naturally to me like my predecessor it did. Um, so I've decided to go ask people who it doesn't have to come out of their pockets. I believe government needs to support the Boys and Girls Club of Ottawa a lot more than they do. Like we get eight percent of our money from government, and we need to. And most clubs across the country get twenty or thirty percent. So. I'm in the midst of putting together like a $6 million pitch for the federal government to build a new clubhouse in the most needy community in Ottawa. So I got no problem asking the government for money. Private individuals, it's tough. I, I hate it. It's, it's difficult for me. So the, the best thing that I can do is just to display the passion that I have for the clubhouse and hope that they see it and want to share in that. And that's been successful for me. But I still have a lot of work to do in terms of learning how to ask people for money um, from a private donor side. So but in terms of a business, I believe in myself so much that, uh, you know, it was easy for me to ask people for money. Uh, we did the same thing for the, the next two restaurants as well. And people have done very well. And so it's, it's easy for me to say, you know, you, you need to give me some money and I'm going to repay it to you uh, for the perpetuity of the business. And, and let's go and do this thing together. So that, that part is easy if it's for me personally, rather than for the Boys and Girls Club, um, because I... I have complete um, control over how well that business does, except unless the pandemic comes along. <laughs> There's that. But even then, look yeah. at how innovative you have been. And it's, it's really inspiring. And I, and I loved even how you were sharing your focus on taking care of, of the people who, frankly, have helped you make your business the success that it is. And it's very inspiring, Stephen. Thank Quick you. question. Who do you turn to for advice? So I would say that there's sort of three main people in my life that I constantly go back to um, for advice. Uh, my wife is the first and foremost. She's just a super smart, genius thinker, uh, incredible uh, management consultant, but just incredibly intuitive, knows me really well and, and always knows where my blind spots are. So she is definitely by far the first person. Um, next is my partner in business, Clay Cardillo. He came on about eight years ago, and uh, and I just love him. I could not have gotten through this pandemic without him. He is the moral compass for me at work, and mm. and so inspiring with all of our team. And then finally is is my best friend Harley, <laughs> my BFF. You know, yeah. he pushes me outside of my comfort zone all the time, all the time. You know, like we would we go on walks. Uh, well, pre pandemic, we would go on walks every Sunday together and uh, do other things together. And it was always on those walks that big life changing decisions were made because, you know, you just hold up a mirror and say, dude, this is the third week in a row. You're complaining about X. Do something about it. Right. And so when you esteem someone that much uh, and they are they have been so successful in business and they're telling you, you know, that that you're that that you're creating or craving change you have to listen to it because you know if you want to keep hanging around with great people you need to keep doing great and courageous things you have to look at your fears and get over them 
I love it too, because when you have a, a BFF and you're spending time with your BFF, which, you know, you talked about that regularity, they also want the best for you, right? So somebody wants for the sure. best for you. That's advice you want to listen to as well. What about the most important or your favorite book where, you know, you're getting advice or insights from the page? Is there one that you, you know, go back to regularly or that changed your life or that you recommend? There's a book I'm reading right now that I, I am just so inspired by. And, and it's just so perfect for the time because I was trying to figure out what, what should I read right now to give me some perspective on this pandemic when the world is so upside down and uh, so scarce in so many ways. There's so much fear out there right now. And so uh, a good friend of mine recommended this book called Freedom from Fear um, from David M. Kennedy. Now, uh, the book is really about FDR. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a history buff. I love biographies. I love political biographies. And But this book is about FDR, but also the time around FDR. So it really starts in the Depression, uh, as the Depression is just coming on, and then um, uh, and ends at the end of World War II. And I'm just getting into world, you know, the World War right now. But to to like to look at at reimagining society through the New Deal and the new New Deal that he put into place is the thing that has been inspiring me so much uh, lately. To be able to see the other side of this and how. Canada and the world can be a, such a better place when we're out the other side of this is the thing that I am uh, looking for inspiration and guidance for through our history. So that's that to me is the most important book right now. I think that's a very compelling book and I'm adding that to my list. I got a stack <laughs> on the bedside table right now, Stephen, but like you, I'm working through them because uh, without a commute and some other things, we seem to uh, have less and more time depending on our schedules and our lives, isn't that exactly? True? All right. So, final yep. question: What is your dream, Stephen Becta, for Canada? So that's you know it's it's a hard one because by nature I, I consider myself a bit of an ambitious person, but when I really think about the future of Canada and you know to me I, I just wanted to continue. Uh, to get better and better at a place that uh, is kind and inspiring and caring to everyone who is in our borders. I think that we can be more efficient. I think we can be more productive. I think we can be more world-class and world leader on so many different ways. But honestly, I think one of the greatest virtues of Canada and where I think that, that we just need to keep stepping it up is to being kind and caring and inspiring to one another. That's, that's really what my, my vision is. Uh, for Canada in the future. Lead the world in caring. Yeah, it's a beautiful vision for Canada, but it's also three words I would use to describe you. Kind, caring, (laughs) inspiring, awesome. I could keep going. And you certainly have a bold vision and you are making, well, not just our capital, but Canada better with your significant contributions, both in your volunteer work, but also how you're changing the fine dining experience. Now, even you know, online as a pioneer in Canada, we're also grateful. What an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Stephen Becta. He is, of course, the owner and operator, but also the visionary behind exceptional dining experiences Becta, Gazellig, Play, and his new online shop curated by Becta. It has been such a pleasure, Stephen Becta. Thank you for being on the Fearless Women podcast. 
Oh, thank you very much, Janice. I'm just, it was such an honor and, uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to, to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.